We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 481 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am Dan Hilton, and I am excited to have back to the show none other than Diego Larine. Diego, it has been a while, and I do mean a while, because we're seeing your face, so that means it was done in the pre-video era, which is just a different time. <laughs> it, was, it was the first time Messi was around. It's, it's the whole thing. So we oh welcome you back to the show. We're not talking about Messi today, but we are talking quite a bit about the man, the myth, the legend, Diego Larine from Churros e Tacticals <laughs> Podcast. Thank you, Dan. What an intro. Thanks a lot, man. Listen, it's, I think the last time we recorded this pod was internet even invented. I have a feeling we just, we did it on the phone with the tape recorder there. No, listen, it's been a really long time. I want to thank you so much for your patience. We've been trying to set up this uh, chat, this uh, podcast for far too long as well. So thank you for your patience. It's been, you know, hectic times. As uh, it's been crazy times and, you know, it just feels like we're spinning plates and trying to make uh, them all spin nicely and none of them drop. But it, it's, it, it takes a lot of hard work and hopefully now, I mean, I will for certain have more time for this. So, I mean, I mentioned, you know, hit me up again, sort of uh, early July-ish because I'll uh, be a lot more relaxed and available. So, again, thank you for Sticking with me, and I'm happy to be back, man. I'm happy to be back talking to you, the Barcelona podcast. So, Well, people know how anal I can be about my notes, and so it did take me about two seconds to look it up. And the last time you were on, the very first question I asked you was, was even Rakitic the man of the match in El Clasico? Because Gerard Piquet was in tremendous form at the time. Mm. Clement Langley was an underrated signing. And Mark mm. Ter Stegen, we felt, might have been a top-two goalkeeper in the world and Jordi Alba was on the cusp potentially of earning a new contract. So a long time ago with all of those wow. different storylines. So yeah, yeah, it makes us feel a little old. So, all right, let's get into, uh, I guess the more serious part to begin, and then we're just going to dish about Barcelona in the second half of the show. But for those who may not know, June 30th was the time your time at Barca TV ended and you don't need to go into any great detail. Of course, what you're allowed to say, it's the same thing when I was working on the, the, the club's Twitch channel for a while there. You know what we can say, what we can't you were, say. You were working for digital. 
you were Correct. you were on the yeah, Twitch. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I did not. I don't think about I knew a year, that. About a year and a half. Yeah. So what we're allowed to say, what we're allowed. I mean, even the number of times I'm allowed to bring that up, you know, it's and where I'm allowed to put that information. Like that stuff is all. Uh, we're not getting into any great detail there. But for those who only read the blurbs and the headlines and all that stuff, what has been going on not only with the the recent layoffs with Barca TV, Barca TV studios closing, but with the strike back in December, the different parties involved, and then. Where Barca TV, because Barca TV Plus still exists, the archives and things like that. I was worried originally that they weren't going to, but those will exist. So what is, I guess, Barca TV in its current incarnation? Uh, what happened with the layoffs? I mean, we, we, we expect we know what that is. But going a little deeper, as I said, into the strike back in December and mm-hmm. the difference, I think, even between an employee like you who is full time and then those freelancers and those others who are technically being paid by other companies. And Barcelona is the third party in that transaction yeah so uh, look uh, first of all right off the bat then i mean i'm very open and free to talk about this whichever way i want you know there's never been any limitations put or told to us in in terms of of what exactly happened i think it's pretty straightforward there's no you know beating around the bush let's say what happened was this current administration the board led by Joan Laporta had to make cutbacks because of reasons we all know, right? The financial situation at the club being as dire as it is means we have to strap the belt, which means that cuts need to be made. Hence, laying, uh, uh, I mean, as, 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 as blunt as laying people off, uh, reducing the sizes of contracts, and also downsizing in things like their media departments, where of course it, it, it was pretty the structural the structure of it, right? The business uh, uh, hierarchy, let's say this, the actual structure of the company was a little bit difficult. Why is because at Barça Studios, uh, Barça that which then became known as Barça Productions, it was you had three companies plus the freelancers of whom I was one. So I was actually not a full-time employee. I was a a freelancer and we made up around, I think roughly maybe hmm, a a fifth, maybe around of of, uh, the already employees that were either contracted by Telefonica, the the vast majority, then you had Baikal as well, et cetera. So there weren't, and, and, and Ula. So there were certain companies that had certain specifications, you know, like the technical side, the, the, the digital side, the uploading videos, the platform, and then the operational side, the cameras, the guys in the control room, et cetera. And then, you know, obviously also people like me, the ones, the, 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 the redactores, as we're called in, in Spanish, the, um, the journalists, right, that work uh, in the newsroom. So the contracts, all of those contracts ended on June 30th. The contracts where Barca uh, had given up the rights in the, let's say, let's just keep it at Telefonica for broadcasting uh, Barca TV. That ended on June 30th. And all in all, with all the other contracts involved and, 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 and wages of, of the freelancers, et cetera, what, all, what we all costed, it was said that the club could save around, I think, you know, the, the, the ballpark figure, which there is some, you know, leeway in that or some, some, uh, you know, it's between eight and, and 12 million roughly, right? That the club is saving. 
by late by closing Barça TV, by closing Barça Productions. I say Barça Productions, I should actually just keep it at Barça TV because as you pointed out as well, Barça TV Plus, which is of course where I predominantly, I mean, yeah, mainly you could say uh, broadcasted from, uh, there were episodes that that, that uh, were used on, on either Barça TV or, or of course I uh, was on YouTube as well. But Barça TV Plus, Plus was the main channel uh, where we broadcasted from. That falls under the Barça Productions umbrella and as you rightly pointed out, that is still continuing as of now. In, meaning you, as a Kule Barça fan, or anybody for that matter, if you're interested in Barça content, you can still subscribe to Barça TV Plus as it is today. A lot of the stuff, the catalog is is not uh, available anymore. I mean, uh, you know, I, every show, I, I had sort of a flagship program, started off with Blue and Red, Kule's Magazine, Barça News, the, the, the live shows, the, the welcome shows, etc. Many of those are not anymore on the, the platform, but a lot of the games are and, and other original uh, yeah. product uh, content still lives. So that, you know, let me know if, you, if, if that describes it well, if, if you have any more questions. Yeah, I, just to let people in a little more behind the scenes stuff too as well, uh, regardless of the different spaces that we worked, I mean, the Spain is similar to the US in certain ways than it is in others. And so whenever you're, especially in the US here, working for a media company or working on a big production, a lot, a lot of times the camera people, the audio technicians, those people are generally outsourced. Those outsourced, are freelancers. Yeah. So those are, again, paid by a third-party company that is then uh, Barcelona is paying that company for those people to use their services. Now, depending on the place that you've been, I've been myself an on our talent, and then I've been technically affiliated with that company at times, and other times I've been a freelancer myself, just brought in. Uh, and a lot of times in the US at least, the camera people and those who are a third party, those people actually have more worker protections in terms of the length of their contracts, breaks that they're supposed to take, they're given a bit more, um, a bit more, we'll say protections than the people who technically actually work for the, the priority company, the priority company itself. And that's why, okay. and that winds up being something, a theme that I've noticed working behind the scenes in a lot of different places here in the United States, where if I'm editing for a company or, or I'm a, a producing with a company and I'm being paid by that company, generally, you know, it's our responsibility to get that, jo that job done. And for the camera people, they are, again, a third party <laughs> being brought yeah. in. But yeah. for, and, and for Spain, I've, I have noticed that it is a bit different where mm. in, in Spain, you know, let's say those, a lot of times those production companies aren't, we'll say, unionized in, in, in certain ways. So they're not fully protected in the same way with their wages, with, with things like that. But all right. So I think we've gone too far. I want to go back up. Let's be a little more, uh, let, let's talk about the good times, let's say, from your work at Barca TV. Because as you said, you named some of it. You did an excellent job there for, for a number of years. So I want to ask you some questions about your time there. Starting with, what was your best experience that, that you'll remember? I think a lot of people will throw games at you like, oh, well, what about that game and that game? But no, what was your actual best experience that you'll remember? Because I feel like with, with Jamie Coles and things like that, there was different stuff happening. You know, there was a cooking show. There was, it wasn't always just <laughs> you guys watching the games in the studio and things like that. That's not, that's not how it worked. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, that made part, you know, that was... Uh... Once or twice a week, that would we would be broadcasting Barca live and just be watching the game and giving live reactions and play by play sort of you know studio analysis in the post match and the pre match. But yeah, that that was uh, that was just a small part of it for sure. I mean, my best memories were was basically just 
being able to present for my childhood club. You know, this was truly a dream come true. And then that, in the last episode, I said, you know, this was more than a job to me because Barca is more uh, than a passion for me. Like it, 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 it's been so deeply rooted inside of me since uh, an early age that it became a part of my identity. You know, growing up half Spanish, half Dutch, Catalan Spanish, call it my grandfather. My grandparents were from the South Andalusia, but my mother was born and raised here in Catalonia. And I grew up in Den Haag. Uh, my, and I was born and raised in Holland, the Hague, uh, we're not known for a great football club uh, or history of it. Uh, not, and so as a kid growing up, you're either an Ajax fan or a, a PSV or Feyenoord fan. And, you know, my grandfather, I, remember, I vividly remember him sitting me down one day on a trip coming to Spain. And obviously it was, you know, the beginning of the Dutchies. Guman had, Guman had just signed for Barca. Johan Cruyff was the coach. And we were, Barca was at the cusp of, 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 just the beginning of the golden era, like the beginning of the enlightenment era, the beginning of the dream team, Johan Cruyff, Barca DNA era. And so witnessing that, uh, seeing that, 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 that sort of blossom always from afar, which is why, you know, I identify so much as well with Benyas around the world and international fans like you or, you know, many of uh, on Twitter. And the reason why I broadcast in English is because I want to bring this, you know, I wanted to bring Barca closer to the people. That's when I started D-Spot, you know, my little YouTube channel that, that eventually be, became my little gateway, uh, drug, call it, you know, the, the, uh, into broadcasting and um, and eventually becoming a presenter. And so, so the reason for me saying all this was, you know, over the span of like three decades of Barca was so much a part of my life and the dream of event from becoming a player, which is where my son is now, you know, he wants to be Messi to realizing that that, that is never going to happen because I'm just not as skilled or disciplined for it. To then thinking, well, maybe Presi, I can become president one day. To then realizing that the finances don't add up in that department neither. To then getting the chance at, you know, I, then I was old, you know, I'm, I'm a 41 year old man and, and I got, I started, what is it, like six, seven years ago to, to become a presenter and, and start you know, being on television, being on camera and, and getting paid for my work at, at initially La Liga TV to then being able to do that, my livelihood, um, my vocation for the club of my life. It was just, it was the best, man. And and I have just awesome memories of that opportunity, meeting all the legends that you could ever ask for from, you know, meeting and, and interviewing them from Andres Iniesta to I mentioned Kuman, Ronald Kuman when he was a coach, the Gasol brothers, Gary Lineker, the list goes on and on. It's 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 just been Jordi Cruyff, all of these new players from Memphis, De Jong, uh, Ansu Piquet, Pedri, Dani Alves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so just uh, your idols and legends, and 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 being able to talk with these people and and, and produce really cool content groundbreaking content, some content, which in my opinion, was ahead of his time, like uh, Blue and Red, which was a game show, which had nothing to do with sport and everything to do with entertainment, which was a bet, you know, for Barca mm -hmm. TV Plus and, and, and to create that kind of this, yeah, a game show that was a atemporal, was, it was a seasonal, uh, if, if that is a word. So all of that, man, because quite honestly, Dan, you, you talk about 
celebrating games game wise <laughs> we have not had a lot to ton a ton to celebrate in the three years that i've been right. at barca we you know this from a sporting perspective has been interesting times testing times but certainly not the best of times so you know we we've had our downs it's, it's been a lot of just having to bite the tongue and go through bad times with the football team, the basketball team, the women's team. Uh, and I say that despite the fact that the women's, of course, have, have, have had such massive accomplishments and, 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 and have been pioneers in the world of women's women football. Uh, them not winning the Champions League was a massive blow. So, you know, yeah. it, it's... It, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm 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 uh I'm blabbering. I feel like then I'm I'm like an old man going over his uh, <laughs> war stories. Yeah, here, but I feel like there's also so many things. Like I, I think there when I, when I thought about this conversation, I thought about what would the Facebook group, what would Twitter, what would Instagram? I don't listen to TikTok. But what would they want me <laughs> to ask you? And I I think part of that is that the little nuggets that you've picked up where. Again, I, I've worked in sports too with professional athletes, and it's always surprising to me. You know, I'm following this this player for 10 years or whatever, or 15 years, and they retire, become a commentator, and I get to know them, and I'm like, oh, that guy was cool the whole time, and I'm like, oh, that guy was not cool the whole time, <laughs> but I thought that guy was cool, and you know, you get to do those things, and yeah. I've done that with soccer and hockey and basketball, and for you, where their players? I mean, the players are not say a bit younger, but I think players certainly have handlers, they have agents, they have PR teams. Like they players today in 2023 just have teams of people in the way that even in the mid nineties they didn't, right? That players were kind of authentically out there, but also social yeah. media didn't exist either. Yes. Because these players are individual brands on social media. So using all that as the caveat as a disclaimer here, were there players in particular on the in the last few seasons that you think are just entirely different from the way that the media might portray them. Just like, I, I want you to put it on the record and say like, no, no, this guy's actually a little bit more like that. And it doesn't have to be negative. I just mean, I, I think because of the results over the last few years, there's been really, there's been easy ways for players to get certain reputations. 
for the worse instead of the better, I think, in a lot of cases. Yeah, you know what? I mean, look, uh, uh, first of all, I'll be really honest as well. And 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 I'm happy to, to share my opinions, but I have to state that those are firsthand impressions, meaning, you know, us at Barca Studios, we were like an island of our own. And we... To, to visually sort of sort of geographically give you an idea where we were, we were in San, Jun, San Juste de Spi, right? The, the Ciudad Esportiva is, it, it's nearby, but it's definitely, you know, a good seven, eight minute drive. So where the players are, you know, we are not. And the times that we get close to the players are very rare. Uh, there were some of us that did it more. For example, uh, you know, Bruno, the the field reporter, the pitch side reporter, I should say, he was sort of like his part of his designated job was to be the link between the studio panel, the people working in the studios and the players. So whenever there was media day, he would go and talk to to the uh, uh, players on media day, which they would do like once every three months. From my part, you know, I did the welcome interviews, which is when the player touched down, uh, they get the tour through the Ciudad Sportiva and, and the Camp Nou. And then I do the interview, like the opening interview. Sometimes we will be doing broadcasting for, you know, four hour broadcasts in the hot sun on a hot summer day, like now, where you're just in a suit, sweating it out and you're waiting for the player, you know, whether it was Memphis, Trincao, Pedri, like whoever it was during those three years that, that, that came in, you're waiting them to, for them to come through, sit down with you for like 10 minutes max and then be gone yeah, again. Business, and then right? I'll never see them right. again. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. 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 For sure. It's all business. They come in. They yeah. Come out. And I think that's like, I mean, that people don't totally understand like players, especially now, I mean, they're, there's so much media and there's so much work to do again, not only for their individual sponsors, but for the club and so many different places they have to be in those days. So yeah, yeah just to have even a, a, an off the cuff conversation is, is so, so rare. And I really only like the most privileged journalists get those after years and years of, you know, it's why uh, the ESPN example, it's why Brian Windhorst, they always joke still is a job because LeBron James has one reporter whisper right who's been there since he was in high school in akron yeah yeah right yeah, yeah. and because brian winters was there with him in akron in 2000 and 2001 2002 he's he's got a full this huge number job at espn because there's like one guy <laughs> that knows the inside stuff with, that's with all LeBron you need James it's quality that. over quantity sure. i mean brian is a top yeah. guy in his field and and we all love him for it but but I mean so so somebody I, the reason I say it is is like somebody like Sarah Salapour who you undoubtedly undoubtedly will know she is actually with the players day in day out going on trips and and you know there she works for in social media right in social and digital she was uh, uh, probably one of your closer to you, being a colleague of yours when during your time with Twitch than she is of mine yep. so so she will have a better impression of the what the players are on a day to day basis now from my impression. Uh, the, 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 and I, well, I can tell you, Sarah's been a guest. Sarah has been a guest on the show, and, right. and, I, and I know Sarah. And, uh, she's she's nothing but complimentary, though. <laughs> she has a way about her. She herself radiates such positivity and exactly. kindness that it brings that out of the players. Yes. So it's more of a, yes. a one way street. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. She's so she. she I mean, she, I call her my little sis. You know, she's so bubbly, she's so sweet, and uh, she can only bring out the best in people. So players that that had an impact on me that that sort of uh, that. 
either because I got to uh, interview them over multiple times or because, you know, sometimes they stay, they hang out. They're actually interested. If they're coming down to studios, they might want to see studios, get to know it a little bit. And you have a little bit more time to, to have a chat. I'll never, I'll, you'll never hear me say a bad word about Miralem Pjanic. He was a, a, a guy that when he arrived was full of motivation, was super excited to play for Barca knew his history, knew not just from a, a, a technical side, but also, you know, Barca's history, which always, you know, resonated with me. And then just his story itself. I mean, you know, it was the longest interview I ever did. It was, it's 45 minutes. I don't know if it's still on Barca TV+. Plus. If you do, check out Welcome Pjanic, because he tells his whole story of how he immigrated, uh, uh, you know, from Bosnia, a war-torn country, to Luxembourg, to then having to play, I think initially it was Belgium, then France, and making the these trips and uh, seeing his father, who was a semi-professional player, you know, the impact he had on his life. Anyway, Mirelem Pjanic, super interesting and human story, really had a good connection with him. I'll say, uh, you know, Memphis for me, it might be because I'm half Dutch. I have uh, some bias towards the Dutchies. I say that, but not really as well. But Memphis, I thought was was super cool, uh, meaning approachable, not the cool kind of image that you might have if you only yeah. know him from you know seeing him on the field in his car and, and in rap videos he was uh very approachable very talkative and down to earth you know pedri was a very shy shy kid like and the same with like serginho dest that was the first time that i had the sort of moment the lucidez sort of this 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 light bulb moment where i was like wow here are just some kids that have, you know, at 18, 17 years old, that have been handed massive contracts with all this responsibility and, 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 and expectations on their shoulders now. But talking to them, you see that they are just like you were at 18 and so 17. And that was just like a lost teenager, you know, a confused lost teenager. So it's, uh, that's, that's really, uh, impressionable and, 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 you know, again, another human moment. Danny Alves was somebody that, and no, it's not a popular topic, but, uh, you know, meeting Danny Alves was awesome. And you felt like, man, I could be, you know, friends with this guy. He, he was also just very patient with his time. He walked in and illuminated the room. Every, he's the one player where everybody from the newsroom went upstairs to check out the interview. Uh, players come and go, you know, coaches will come and go into studios. As I said, it's going to, there's this protocol of them walking into studios, going straight up to the makeup room, going into the, to the plateau, doing the interview, then going out, makeup, take away the makeup and out the door yeah. they go and, and in the car they are whisked away. Dani Alves was, was, was different in that regard where everybody wanted to see him. It was like as if a, a Michael Jordan had just walked in the room. And then for me, the best, the and I'll finish on this one, the absolute ultimate best, uh, he is an idol of mine forever. I want to get a poster and hang it up on my room, is uh, Nikola Mirotic, man. Mirotic was, uh, you know, when he found out about the closure of Barca, he had nothing. He was one of the first ones to to go public on record and talk about, you know, giving us support, talk about how, you know, the terrible situation this is, was really outspoken about it. And then the day he came in for an interview, this was right before they uh, went off to play the final four. 
in Kaunas. He came into studios. And as I just mentioned, I just walked you through that uh, uh, scene or situation that happens when an athlete or a coach walks into studios. So, so the, you know, they, they, they pass by the newsroom. Oftentimes, you don't even know that a, a, a Chavi or something has, has walked into the building. He actually walked into the newsroom, gave this whole emotional speech about like, you know, uh, you've got my support. You guys have been amazing. The reason why Barca is the way it is, is, is in large part uh, uh, thanks to you. All the hard work hasn't, doesn't go unnoticed. Anyway, people were in tears then. I'm trying yeah. to paint you this picture here. To only finish saying, hey, and by the way, when I'm done doing this interview, I'm inviting all of you guys for lunch. And about, uh, you know, I mean, on the day, we must have been 40, 50 people in Barca Studios, from the camera guys to the security guy, the technicians, the, the, the journalists. He took us all out for lunch and just had a really nice afternoon where with him, like sitting in the middle of the table, it, it looked like the, a painting of the Last Supper then, like him, Jesus, this Jesus-like fig, figure in the middle of the table and all of us uh, uh, around him and just talking and, and, and yeah, man, good vibes, good good moments, you know? It was, yeah, it was very is, beautiful. Which is, which is tough because Miritich, he did, he made some of that NBA money, but he didn't make that much of that NBA money. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting too, because Miritich, his time at the club has also ended. So whether or not he's going yeah. to Partizan or Olympiacos, it definitely like with the, the, the Balancesto manager leaving and Sarunas, as well as Miritich, it is a changing of a guard in a lot of different aspects, uh, as it is every offseason, as we mentioned. So it's funny, you, you brought up Pedri and Des, and that was a, another great point there about how, we do forget. And I, told, I, I talk about this with Gabi and with Ansu and with Pedri and with all the young players that Ansu, we forget just how young these, these kids yeah. are. I mean, even Julian Araujo is 22 years old yeah. and just trying to get the agenda, making the move over from the United States, having grown up in the U.S., Mexican parents, and just, again, making the move to, to Spain, to FC Barcelona, having mm -hmm. played the Barca Academy when he was uh, early teens, because, again, he's recently a teenager. And I think it is always difficult, especially for other teenagers. <laughs> and I think a lot of the young players, young people, I should say, have less of a leash even than us old hats. Because for us, it's like, yeah, I mean, this, I, I do remember being that young and I remember how long ago that was and what would have I have done if I'd been thrown in that situation. And the same thing, you're right. They're given all this big money and now they have all these eyes that they never had on them before and their life is different. So to transition that, I, I want to ask you about, we're, now we're going to dish about some of the general questions dominating the headlines this week, and then, then we'll get out of here. So to talk a little bit about Vitor Roque and Arda Guler, the two players that keep popping up the most, we know their intentions are to play for Barcelona. They just have to be able to, to find a way to get them. So how much of a risk and what is the likelihood do you think that it's either one or the other, neither, or both are playing in Montjuic next season? Because my gut has long said that I think both agree to contracts this summer, but I don't think we see either until mm. next year. And maybe we see we see the. the and why is that? Game. Why is that? Before I, I give you my take, I would like to know from you, Dan. Why? Why do you think that it won't be either? Well, it's the thing I say every single twice a week. It's so boring; people don't want to hear it, and especially <laughs> especially English media don't want to report on it either. Signing, not a problem for FC Barcelona. Registering, a problem mm. for FC Barcelona. And I mm. think the registration aspect of all of this is still so up in the air that I, I just I don't think you can guarantee when you talk about the other players that are coming in and the renewals and all those other things. Like, I, I mean, I'm really interested to read the financial report because that'll change my opinion, as I think that should be out either this week or next week. 
one of these one of these weeks we'll see the the financial report. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think for Guler, it's it's best for him to know that he is going to be the future, and that if he 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 signed on for Barcelona, they pay a part of or his wages at at Fenerbahce or wherever, and then he's played another full year there, and then again the Brazilian league, it ends in a different time than 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 the Spanish league. So it makes total sense for him to be loaned back at least till January and then registered at that point. So I, I just think logically, practically, registration-wise, all of those things make sense that we do not see them, especially for the preseason, which starts in literally a week, you know? And I think Xavi would like to have... if it, They're teenagers. And I think Xavi would obviously yeah. love, if he's going to trust teenagers with major roles this season, he would love to have them in preseason. And I, I, I cannot imagine that he would have either of those in preseason because even if they signed, as we're talking right now, even if they signed their contract today, they still wouldn't be here in seven days. It just, it wouldn't work that way. Yeah, no, of course, of course. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I see your point with the registering. You would like to think, however, that seeing as the financial plan got the green light from La Liga uh, and the okay that, may, you know, that, that, that Mateo Elemana and Jordi Cruyff and Xavi and company would have included the budget for these two players in particular, which I guess if we have to believe what the papers are reporting comes out to a total roughly of 55 million. If it was 35 for Roque, uh, I don't know. I don't remember now if that was including add-ons or if that was already included and, and what was it? 20 something, right? 20 uh, something. Yeah, I think I, I saw 20 plus five. Ardan, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I saw twenty plus five for that, but again, we never we don't know those things. Yeah. So uh, the, the the point being, I mean, details aside, is that you would have liked you'd like to think that that was included in in that budget. Let's say that was presented. Now, I think it's all great and good to newspapers need to mention these players. They need to sell. We want to be entertained. The summer months from what I remember so vividly as a kid is coming uh, to Spain uh, for the, 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 you know, the, the long summer holidays. And finally, you know, this is before internet. I finally got able to taste the snippets that my grandfather used to send from me from Barcelona to Holland. I got to touch and, and, and smell and read the newspaper. And the big signings were, it was Awesome. It was, it got you so hooked, like already in the early nineties, you know, so engaged. So the point being is like, it's great to have these names being mentioned and the Barca are actually in the running to sign these seemingly very exciting talents. I say seemingly because, you know, full disclosure here. I mean, my speciality is, is La Liga and Spanish teams. Barca, of course, predominantly. And my eye is not so much uh, on the Turkish league and the Brazilian league. So I just have to take for what is being reported in the papers, but mainly I would hope what, what Mateo Leman and now Deco, of course, have, uh, or Jordi Cruyff already in the buildup, in the lead up to, to the summer transfer, which they work, you know, diligently at throughout the season, that, that the, that these guys are top talents besides from what we see, of course, on social media and all the hype and the highlights, which look great. It's exciting. Can we get them? Yeah, we highlights mm-hmm. of us. People can make great highlights of us and make us look good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Give me a minute and 15 seconds, you know, anybody yeah. can do something. But yes. yeah, for them to actually be good for 90 minutes in actual yeah. game action. And can they press at a high level? Can they do all the things that Xavi is asking them to do? Exactly. And also uh, the, the skill set and the defenders are, they're attacking. Well, I always find that we talk a lot with young players about the way that they attack and the way that they read the game with the ball. And Barcelona does have 
generally 60 to 70% of possession. So it's totally fair that a player would be evaluated firstly on what happens when their team has the ball. But I think Xavi's system is, it's, it's so crucial for players to have a full understanding of what he's asking them to do off the ball and in that rest defense. And, and that goes back to all those things we talk about, about can Christensen be a pivot? How is, and the idea of replacing Busquets, it's like, it's so, it's so frustrating because you say, well, can they replace Busquets? Legend, da, 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 da. Before you say the word legend or anything like that, I, I want to talk about rest defense. And then, you know, people are hitting a, sn- a snooze alarm because I'm like, no, no, the, the, the real issues here from a tactical perspective are like all of that little nuance that these yeah. great, great players do add to, to a game. And can young, do young players have all, all those little, little things that they may not know yet? And the, mm-hmm. the more important thing is, do they have time? And that's because that is the killer for young players at Barcelona. Like Serginho Des, I always believed in, but I believed in the idea of him. Like I watched right. Julian Araujo in, in MLS and I believe in the ideas of a lot of the things of Julian Araujo. But if you tell me after six months of training, he hasn't really gotten a, a good understanding of positional play and the, the coaching staff doesn't evaluate that even a year on loan might, would that work for him? So if Feyenoord comes in and says, hey, is that a Barcelona player I see? Uh, you know, we've done our homework with him in MLS and we'll take him for eight to 10 million. And Barca can say, well, we evaluated him for four months or however long it was. And maybe we don't think that he projects to be able to do the things that we need him to do. And that's how quickly it's over for a 21 and 22 year old. And that's a shame too. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. I mean, from that perspective, what, what hopes, what chances do you give to Araujo to actually succeed within the first team? I would say very little. This, this, this is make or break. Do you think this summer is make or break for him then? Well, I think it's actually almost a perfect, a perfect situation for him in that Uh because of the Kunde situation, if Barcelona isn't bringing in, because the names that I'm hearing, like Presneda is highly unlikely with the other clubs that are pushing for him and the amount of money they have in their pockets. We've heard that Ana Martinez just isn't going to happen. So with, I see the limited options of right backs available it could be Kunde, and this could be the moment in preseason. Dest, I mean, AC Milan did not go well, but he's weirdly a, such a different player for the U.S. men's national team. And international is different, sure, but like there is always something with Sergio Dest. And can he prove it to Xavi in in three weeks? I doubt that, right? So for him, I say it's 15 percent. But you're also talking about their market value. Like, how little are they worth now? to you like they have to be successful on loan and they have to be successful somewhere else to actually be worth something i mean that is a great thing about clement langley his his tottenham spell actually went really well so there is a market now for langley that may not have existed 12 months ago and for julian araujo yeah i put it at 20 percent because the opportunity is there this summer in a way that it certainly won't be next year so yeah. if he's going to earn it he's going to have to earn it in preseason for three weeks or whatever it is as you said if if Christensen's going to play the pivot position a little bit this season, or if one of those four center backs plus five plus Eric Garcia plus Marcus Alonso can do it. So you never know with injuries, right? Injuries happen. And there are going to come moments where, I mean, Hector Bayerine was a member of FC Barcelona this past year. Like, don't forget mm. that. Like <laughs> Hector Bayerine played matches for FC Barcelona in European competition. <laughs> so it's like, it, it, you need everybody in the squad over the course of a season. So Joan Araujo might find himself being, the third choice right back behind Kunde and Balde. Yep, there we go. Kunde and Balde. <laughs> and he's the third choice right back. And he might be used in eight to 10 games. And that might just be what he's used to do, uh, which would be a dream. And then he moves on next summer for hopefully a bigger number if he contributes yeah. anything to Barcelona first team level. But I, yeah. again, I, I, my gut says 15 to 20% because it seems like he has not impressed so far. 
There's a lot in what you just said. Uh, really interesting as well. I mean, from from in terms of preference perspective, I think the right back position is so it's so thin as well. If you look at the markets and what Barca could actually contend for. And you mentioned Arnau Martinez, and actually that's a player that would genuinely excite me if he would come, you know, the same with Oriol uh, Romeo, who we pretty much know is definitively off of the, you know, the, the, the players that could potentially arrive uh, at uh, Barca, who could actually be a very good fit in the system. And I think these are players, both Arnau and Oriol, that Xavi could, you know, not just use, but genu genuinely get the best out of. You're going to be accused of collusion because you're saying the exact same names that, that I've been that I've been pipping up on this podcast recently. So your choices are my choices. I, I think there is some collusion afoot here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think so. It must be. It must be then. But I, I think those are two great picks. And look, if in the end you you mention the Serginho Des scenario. Uh, it's a reality. And, and that, in fact, was sort of when, when you asked me the question, we sort of digressed at this point. But the, the, the thing I was going to mention at the very beginning is we're talking about all these exciting players and names coming in. But the reality is that Barca need to offload in order to make all of this financial fair play possible and happen and make the registering also happen and go seamlessly. We need to offload players. And that is the main hurdle right now that this uh, uh, board and, and, and Xavi will, is facing as well because Xavi will be stuck with players that he either doesn't want, you know, uh, has no use for while he's waiting for other players, new players to come in who, you know, all of this is blocked. All of these transfers are blocked. The, 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 the Victor Roques, you know, the Guler, et cetera, all of that cannot happen until players are offloaded. In fact, I'll go so far as to say I was surprised Gundogan got announced because I was like, he will not be announced before there are players leaving. Uh, so the fact that they managed to get that one over the, uh, uh, you know, the hump, let's say, across the finishing line was a surprise to me. Same goes for Inigo Martinez, another player that we know is standing with one foot in the locker room already uh, waiting for Xavi's orders and to put on a Barca shirt, but he cannot be announced or the deal cannot be made official because players need to, you know, shipped away first. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, somebody like you mentioned Longley, who you would Im assume or imagine that at least has an offer, uh, from Tottenham. However, knowing as well how keen and cutting, uh, from a business perspective, somebody like uh, Levy is. You know that he's going to want to put the squeeze on Barca and basically get him for free, even though they're interested. There might be genuine interest in that, but they're not. They're not going to want to pay eighteen, you know, fifteen, ten million for a player they know that they can squeeze out of Barca for free just by shipping him back and saying, "Look, we're going to sit back and wait." You know that they're going to do the same deal that they did with Umtiti. You know, uh, uh, breach the contract or break the contract rather. And uh, happy days, off he goes uh, to to Spurs, and and we'll see. What it'll probably be the same for other players, you know. Maybe yeah, a Serginho right. Dest. I don't know. I mean, I think you, you giving giving Levy credit and calling him cunning is, is a compliment. I feel like he's more like bartering with the uh, concession stands at a, at a at a movie theater because you know the price of popcorn is way too expensive, and you're trying. <laughs> and, uh, I don't. I don't recommend it. It's 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 not enjoyable. They don't want to be doing their job, you know, and you don't want to be doing yours. And so I don't know. All right, last two things here, and these are more general things. So we'll see how quickly we get through them. What do you think happens or needs to happen this off season, and what do you think 
in the next two to three years can help Barcelona to not compete necessarily for Champions Leagues. Because I think that is just a myopic, narrow-minded way to think of it. Like, oh, if Barcelona won the Champions League, they're a success. If they didn't, they didn't. But to compete, we'll say, with the best of Europe, and the best that Europe has to offer year to year. So we're not talking about, we don't have to say Real Madrid, Bar- uh, Bayern, and Man City. We can say last season was Napoli. The best that Europe has to offer in given seasons, which obviously comes to play in the Champions League, where there's a lot of money to be won. So I, I think those things being two different, very uh, two very different things, as in competing with the best of Europe and then actually winning a Champions League trophy. So I'm asking, what does it take for Barcelona to consistently be competing with the best that Europe has to offer in the Champions League year in and year out? Dan, it's, it's quite simple, the answer, but it takes a long time to unwind it. The shortest and simplest way that I can put it is staying true to the style, having full trust in that process that, as, that is called or also referred to as Cruyffism. I think... The path has been laid to success, to this unique, what separates us success from that, what separates us from other clubs, right? And, and what has brought us, what has made us the envy of the entire footballing world and has made us, what has been part of what made us, makes us Mesque un club is staying true and trusting the process uh, that, that, you know, was initiated, instilled in this club, at least by uh, the late, great Johan Greif. We saw it in 92. We saw it with Frank Rijkaard. I'll even go so far to say that Van Gaal, you know, had sprinkles of, uh, of, of Greif's teachings. In fact, I mean, it's undeniable, even though the two couldn't stand each other. You know, there was a sense of uh, inferiority complex when it came from Louis Van Gaal towards the figure of Johan Greif. But he adopted a lot of his teachings. Uh, to Frank Reichardt, to, of course, the greatest to have ever done it, Pep Guardiola, Luis Enrique, and a few more, even, you know, uh, 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 I know this is not popular to say, but a Setien as well. And now Xavi. Let Xavi work. Let Xavi work. Let him work with the, the, the people that he is currently surrounded by, who we know he gets on with very well. By that, I predominantly mean Mateo Alemán and the figure that was Jordi Cruyff that is no longer, of course, but now hopefully Deco as well. I don't know uh, how they operate between the two of them. And I, that connection is so crucial for everything to work because there will be ups and downs, you know, but if the foundation is strong with, in this case, Juan Laporta at the head of the helm as president, we know that he is a, a president that despite or unlike what, a lot of the, the the local newspapers state here uh, that he interferes with with fichajes, with signings and, and 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 things of that nature. It's not true. He's a president that is hands off when it comes to the operational area. That's Mateo Alemán, Xavi, and now Deco. I think what we're seeing is a good start. I think it's going to be a slower process, perhaps because of all the obstacles that we face, the hurdles that we have to overcome left by the herencia, the, 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 the inheritance, uh, or yeah, what we have inherited from the previous administration. It's a lot to overcome with La Liga also putting in anti palancas laws, new financial lever laws that, that abolish that, that make them basically impossible to execute. I think. In that 
regard, we've we've outperformed ourselves. Uh, it's been above my expectations. The fact that we've managed to reconquer La Liga already in the you know call it the second year of Chavi's stint, I find it amazing. Amazing. I, I give you a quotation marks for those listening because obviously Chavi took over with half a season already being played under Ronald Koeman in ninth position and then finished off in second. And we're seeing progress. So uh, without getting, getting too long-winded here, Dan, I, I said there was a short version and a long version, and I'm entering into the long version. But but what I will say, what I find, I think crucial at this point as well is, you know, the foundation is being laid by Xavi with young players that are now champions as well. That That's so important for me. The fact that they know what it, what it feels like, what it tastes like, what it takes to become a champion in you know, one of the best league football leagues in the world, mixed with veteranship, veterans, the likes of Lewandowski as well. I think all that's missing now, and this might, it might sound far-fetched and it might sound impossible, it might sound crazy, ludicrous, but you tell me one, Dan, you tell me one Barca team that you remember that enamored you, that had success to the level that, we have grown accustomed to, meaning winning back-to-back league titles, not just competing for, but winning Champions League titles. Of all of those teams, you name me one team that didn't have one vital ingredient, and that is a superstar. Barca have always had a superstar player in the squad, whether it was a Romario, whether it was a Ronaldo, whether it was a, a Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, I'm listing all the DRs here, Messi, you name it. We've always oh, had that, that one. Was, Going all the way back to the Kubala, yes. Paulinho Acantera, Samitier. And I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about like, to that point, I'm not talking just about almost the guy. I'm talking about the guy, right? There was always a the guy. The only argument might even be that 1992 team because they had a few of the guy. They had Romario, they had Stoichkov, they had Lodrup, they had Kuhlman. And it's difficult actually with that team to argue who the guy is. And actually, I brought it up on the show. It was was Romario, man. It was Romario. Like, of course, you could have a Laudrup was there before and he was amazing. He he brought, he was the, it was the the different kind of player. And of course, Stoichkov, you mentioned him rightfully so. He was like the people's champion, right? But like the star player, and we was like, yeah. I, I just, I would never put. Uh, no offense to Romario, but I just I don't put Romario in the same class as Messi and Ronaldinho. Just the magnanimous figure as a superstar that they were. But it's, I was also I was a youngster. I was also a young, yeah. you, you got me by enough years to stand up for Romario in ways that he should be stood up for. <laughs> totally understandable uh, on, on that account. But I agree. And I you know actually I just released I'll publish I mean I'll, I'll plug now the YouTube channel uh, video I just did on Pedri. It's so weird because Pedri doesn't seem to have the personality, and he's not the goal scorer. Because I think what you're saying, superstar. Yeah. You're talking yeah. about the kid who bangs in over and over again. So also, is yes. Pedri that star? No. But, no. And Lewandowski is no longer that guy. In terms of the number, the numbers are there, yes. But you could almost argue that even for, for Bayern Munich that he wasn't that guy. It was always mm-hmm. Thomas Muller technically is that guy, but mm-hmm. Lewandowski nice. was the goal scorer. And yeah. so for Barcelona, I think it's this thing where Pedri is Muller. Pedri is the guy, <laughs> but in truth... It's got to be Vitor Vitorok. Like, it's got to be him. Like, that's got to be the star, right? And it helps yeah. that he's Brazilian. But yes, like, it helps. Like, if it is Brazilian star, it is a South American star, or it is the guy who's going to bang in those goals and just 
take all the individual awards, even though they say it's about the team, takes the individual awards and is the guy. For sure, 100% agree with that. And it, there's this weird world too where you know AC Milan won a lot as with, with Maldini as the guy. So I think there's yeah. also a world where strap into this for, for you Barcelona fans and you dogmatic attackers of, of goals and, and goal scorers. What if Ron Araujo is actually in two to three years? He's 23, 24. So what if two to three years time, we're actually talking about Ronald Araujo is Maldini, is the magnanimous Ronald Koeman from 1992 figure. I I think there are iterations where, and now what we're getting into all the hypotheticals is best case scenarios in a lot of different ways, right? The best case scenario for Pedri is a Ballon d'Or. The best case scenario for Ronald Araujo is he becomes an all-time defender. I mean, we're talking... Mm. 30 top 50 all-time center back like there is worlds where these things are possible but we also obviously know with an Ansu just taught us this lesson <laughs> that just because something's supposed to happen doesn't mean it does and yeah. it doesn't also mean that once it's in the other direction that you can't put it in the other direction a little bit either right like yeah like yeah, michael, yeah, totally. michael, yeah michael owen's story wasn't written by the time he was 23 <laughs> in, in, mm-hmm. in fact that it was the last thing here just to talk about the, I don't know, the, the, the more difficult question. And I think it's, it's fair for you now being a, a, a free agent away from the club to kind of answer this with a little more sincerity. Some of the other stories this week, Barcelona's new official hydration partner. This is obviously the story people came to the podcast for. The new official hydration partner of FC Barcelona is YouTube personalities, Logan Paul and KSI, right? And oh, I guess they're just now internet celebrities because started on YouTube, but now they box each other. And I have a friend who works for WWE and I saw that Logan Paul's like doing a bunch of uh, wrestling now. And while I personally wrestling. have never watched, uh, yeah, apparently he's in WWE because I, I keep seeing my friend who works at WWE is like a backstage Makes person. Sense. Makes like, sense. Yeah, but he's good at it too. I don't know, but I'm sure he is. The, well, they're doing the same thing Barcelona's doing, by the way. But WWE has always been willing to, you know, we'll say <laughs> really, really, but they don't care about their soul. They've sold, they sold that in the 80s and 90s. They don't, they don't care. But anyway, <laughs> as far as FC Barcelona, there's goes, some great I, documentaries about the, yeah, the WWE. Oh my gosh. And, like, yeah, if you want stuff like, I mean, I used to be into wrestling when I was like, this is the early 90s, right? So the perfect time, I, yeah, I was yes. five, six years old, right? Dumping in my backyard and, of course, I was crazy about it. So th- there's like a, a show on Vice, which is also going bankrupt about like Dark Side oh. of the Ring, it's called. And it's like really okay. dark stuff. But it's like, oh, it was like, you know, you saw the bright figures and the characters and all that stuff. And you're like, oh, they were all like highly medicated. Anyway, it's, it's very sad. Yeah. But back to, back to another thing about like the soul of uh, the soul of Barcelona. Yeah. When it comes to, to Paul and KSI and, and these personalities, obviously like Prime, what is Prime as opposed like, to, to replace Gatorade and who cares about a hydration partner. And this is the point that people are now talking about it. People are talking about Barcelona's official hydration partner because of these reasons. And these, these, they were brought in to get younger people because as, as you see now, young people, they watch the five to 10 second highlights. They're watching TikTok. That's how they're watching games, even more so than sitting down paying for whether you're paying for cable or dish or you're paying for streaming services, whatever you're, Florentino Perez is not known for telling truths, but he did speak the truth when he said this, uh, what you're mentioning now. Yes. Kids just ain't watching it. I worked for for Major League Baseball for a number of years. I can tell you that we watched those demographics in the six years I was there, just 
as you know, social media content continued to pick up in the, the mid 2010s. But anyway, there's, there's also things like bigger stuff even about the possible huge investment coming from Qatar. And that story seemed to come and go rather quickly. So you do wonder where that, those sources are coming from. But bigger point here, Diego, with all of the money in the EPL and the fact that Champions League money is so much more lucrative than league money, like getting farther in the Champions League is essential to financial plans for, for clubs like both Real Madrid and Barcelona, anybody outside the EPL. How far can Barcelona go with, without losing too much of their soul? And this is, again, a really broad, long-answered, long-winded question, but this is the last one for you. Like, I, I know some Kool-Aids have already said that Barcelona have sold their soul and lost it, but I don't think that's true. I think, again, to compete in, for Champions League and try to compete at the highest level, there are pits of your soul that you have to trade here and there, and I've done it as a host, and you've done it as a presenter. You trade parts of your soul here and there to have some success and try to be, we'll say, one of the good ones in in a in a pool of negativity and a pool of those who sold off everything. So for Barcelona to have traded parts of their soul but never fork it over completely, how far does that go? Or do we just continue every year to push the envelope on how much of our soul we can trade away? You'd think that after the the Bartomeu Rosé era era, there'd be no more soul left to sell, right? It's like we're out of soul. Well, it's, it's funny because they, well, great, great you brought that up because it's funny if they were not Catalans, right? If they were not from Catalonia and yeah. they were, they were different, I would say that people would already say that Barcelona were 1 billion percent sold. But I think because they were Catalans, there's, there's a, something that still makes it feel so institutional, right? Because their social circles were the same ones as Laporta and the board members now. It's just, it's, it's wealthy people in Catalonia. It's the same, right? The it's bourgeoisie, the Catalan bourgeoisie. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. What a loaded question, Dan. I feel like this is a, a, a podcast uh, topic in and of I know, itself. I, I love it. We, I never thought about it. Too. I can huh? bring it back. I can bring it back. So just maybe spit the shortest, shortest answer, and we can yeah. bring it back uh, soon, soon enough. Well, I, I will say this before. No, I'd love to get into it, but and and you know, everybody knows I'm a little bit more or a lot more flexible now with my time, so I'm happy to get into it. But I, I do would like I would like to revisit this topic uh, on another pod, and hopefully you you can invite me back uh, soon again because I, I I've enjoyed this tremendously much as I always do. Then, in fact, I want to extend an invitation your way to come on churros, my friend. So hopefully we can make that happen and we can talk about this topic. I would love to. Because I'm all about, I don't know if there's, if you caught wind of the fact that uh, I'm quite into my conspiracy theories and stuff. Uh, and, and on churros, I like to get dark and dirty on uh, certain conspiracy theories. And I feel like this could be a perfect one. I've never thought about it. <clears throat> As in like, you know, how, how, how much lower can we go than how much soul is still left up for sale, uh, for sale. Uh, at at Football Club Barcelona, man, it, it were it were beautiful. Those were beautiful times, that, that not too distant times when we had UNICEF on the front of our shirt, and we were walking amongst uh, the football elite as the holiest of holy. I will admit that uh, you know I was guilty of being quite quite prepotente, maybe arrogant, and virtue virtue signaling during those times because it felt really good to feel like you were fighting the good fight in terms of a, a club, an institution, you know, uh, club, uh, more than just a football uh, and entertainment club. But, you know, it had a, a social agenda that more and more kind of, you know, gets 
gets clouded, gets stained. Uh, at the end of the day, football, the world, politics, entertainment, it's all a dirty game. It, it was good to start to realize that, you know, after the UNICEF era, let's say that, 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 that time, that space and time where it felt just so good to be a Barca supporter for the, how we were playing with homebred players, you know, uh, the best player in the world coming into our world. Uh, we took care of him from when he was a kid. We gave him that chance. Now we're spreading, you know, going over the world, winning trophies, the most popular team in the world, UNICEF, everybody loves us, to then now having Qatar, this this eternal Qatar, Qatar anchor strapped around our ankles where we can't really get ahead of ourselves and, and claim that we are maybe as much of a club like Mesquion Club, virtually speaking, or from a moral perspective, as maybe some of us want to think. Now, you know, I mentioned Qatar. You obviously talked about uh, Logan Paul and KSI Prime, you said, right, is the drink or it's, yeah. it's called Prime. I, I want to circle back to Prime. I want to talk about Qatar a little bit because that, of course, you know, that, that came in during a time where when Rosé became president, it was like the first time that Barca had to make that choice to ever. And, and you'll, you'll, uh, you know, because how old are you then? Like sort of late 30s? Uh, early 30s. 30s. Early 30s. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, Barca, of course, we were one of the last clubs to ever stain our shirts with a sponsor. And, and it, it was so symbolic and, and so nurturing to have UNICEF be that first sponsor because it was, but now you realize it was maybe the, just like a gateway into then all of a sudden going to Qatar Foundation and having Qatar, you know, be, be, become this eternal now shadow that, that, is our partner, but then we have to fight Qatar as well because they're trying to take away Neymar from us. But, you know, they were sponsors or they were giving us a, a ton of money. Then with Neymar, of course, they gave us a lot of money. That was handled very badly. And now Qatar is coming back into the scene because turns out they might be willing to pay a hefty sum to have the franchise of Football Club Barcelona be represented in one of their local teams in their leagues there. Which you know again financially could be a very interesting and, 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 and interesting prospect, but it you kind of circle back to be linking yourself with a, a a a country at the end of the day that has very questionable human rights systems set up in their country, and 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 that in and of itself brings, of course, a whole ton of questions, moral questions that you have to ask yourself whether. You know, you would want to see something you hold dear so much be linked with that. That's an entire debate that can be had, that should be had with the reality, of course, knowing, and as you rightly pointed out, and, and I'm not going to rehash all that, that all the time, all this time, we still need to find ways to compete with the state oiled, uh, with the state owned companies and the Russian oligarch companies and, and, and uh, mm -hmm. oil companies, et cetera. So, it's it it it's uh it's becoming increasingly more difficult to stay sort of moral and pure when you have to find ways and resources to to remain competitive and it does mean selling out you know i'm a big hip hop fan uh, dan you know massive hip hop fan hip hop is my thing i'm still a frustrated rapper it was an really initially what i wanted to be in life was a rapper and I did get a chance to work with a highly renowned, you know, one of the godfathers of hip hop, and his name was DJ Premier. 
uh, right by the time that I got to work with him, DJ Premier is famous for his very underground, you know, real hip hop, the boom bap era. He worked with, of course, Gangstar was his band and he worked with Jay-Z, Biggie, Nas, you name it, all of them, you know, MC8, all of the big, big, big legendary names in hip hop. He's worked with them. Uh, check out his, his catalog if you don't know him. And the point being is that when I, that year I got to work with him, he had a very serious uh, uh, dilemma. And that was that he was getting older. He, he, he turned 40 uh, right around the time I, I was working with him. And that was like sort of mid 2000. And uh, it was like right around, it was like 2006, 2005, six. He turned 40. He had the dilemma of r remaining sort of in the loop of the young kids. Like, you know, we were getting older and we respected old school 90s hip hop, but you know, it, it wasn't selling as much as the new stuff. Anyway, long story short, he produced Cristina Aguilera's album at that time, which was, you know, highly discussed uh, and talked about within the music industry. And he became blamed by sort of the, the hip hop purist, or at least a section of it, as selling out. Now, you know, for me, it, it, it wasn't selling. You could see it part of it maybe that he is selling his original hip-hop soul by working with a pop artist but he's he, the product in the end was phenomenal the music uh, whether it's to your taste or not the beats were raw the it was well engineered the sound quality was excellent i was there i saw them recorded uh, christina aguilera by the way highly underrated singer uh, she was truly somebody that could sing genuinely well so you know the Although, but but it's pop music, right? So and but you know what? He also got paid a really nice sum of money. So saying all this, circling this back to our club, if what Barca have to do to remain relevant and competitive is to buddy up with somebody like Logan Paul and KSI, who you know you might like or not like, the fact of the matter is is that he's relevant. He's good at what he does at his craft. Uh, you can love it or hate it, but from a, a purely, say, spectacle element or perspective, he he is successful. He good, he's good at what, at what he does. Now, the, of course, with Logan Paul comes this comes this whole shady area as well. That he's very scammy, like with his NFT projects, the Crypto Zoo project that left a lot of people, uh, you know, financially in ruins, and and so that is the the nasty like the the the, the not nice part that you don't want to be linked with you know but it's, it's a cruel world it's a nasty world then what are you going to do i i think you bring up the point uh, kind of about what i'm not going to get into an economics class an hour and seven minutes into a <laughs> podcast but i think the idea for barcelona and it happens to a lot of clubs and you can actually feel it almost happening to napoli this season and we'll see where napoli goes in the next two to three years because as clubs are in theory on the rise, remember 92 was the first one that they won, that being Barcelona, the Champions League. Uh, Europe was kind of, you know, had been around for a while, but now it was starting to even enter mainstream in the 90s and in the 2000s and 06, they win their, their second one. And then, of course, by the Guardiola era, Barcelona still are felt like a hometown team because, again, their board is Catalan. They're still a Catalan club. And so Barcelona is exporting this, again, this, they're, we'll say brand at the time is still this family owned or this local football club join this club that's in Spain, that's in Barcelona. And now because of the success that they have, they like all other football clubs at that level are global brands. And mm, now once you 
So to me, I mean, they say that this happens a lot with companies. That companies, and I mean, Logan Paul, the same thing. But first, you export your product, the thing that you're making, the thing that is authentically you. You're exporting that, and DJ Premier did the same thing. He made music. He export or he was exporting to other people, if you will, his product. And then it gets to a point with your success that you then have to export your brand, and that yes, is global capitalism. Like these people do get get accustomed to what you're doing. And then to reach that next level, you then need to export your brand. And so that's why for Barcelona, it, it, they, they, they're in that next phase where they're right. exporting their name, they're slapping their names on things. And, and that is where we roll our eyes. And we almost say that you're, you're too big. And, and these clubs and these brands are at that point where right, they're too big. And so when you have an up and coming team, I mean, look at like in Atlanta in Syria, where they had some success, they were, they felt like everybody's hometown team at a much larger scale, right? And they're like, oh, the underdogs are, are beating everybody up. And they, it, we learned about them, their club, because there is no Atlanta Academy in Australia or in Japan. I, yeah. I mean, there might be, but I, I don't, if it is, it's not <laughs> world renowned, right? It's no. not getting any attention. And now Barcelona is, is over the last 15 years has had to, to continue to keep up has exported their brand and it's how far they push that. So and yeah, we've done we will- an excellent job, you know, and, and, and I, I think one thing we can all agree on is that the Barca brand has been increasing exponentially. And I would go so far as to say that Barca, the company also has been on the forefront in, 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 uh, of, of innovation, you know, Barca has been pioneers when it comes to social media. You look at all of the statistics, all of the, you know, the, the, the following counts and stuff. Yes, of course, other clubs have, have played catch up and they've done so catch up and they've done so nicely over the, the last few years. But Barca, uh, over the span that you just mentioned, you know, I would go so far even to say over the past two decades has really been making it a, a deal and a point to to have offices in strategic places. And you, you talk about these academies as well. It's a global operation. It has been a global operation. And, you know, now with taking that a step further and by opening, you know, a franchise in Qatar, it, it, it could just be another step towards the inevitable and, and towards uh, globalize. It's, it's another step towards globalization and, and what we exactly what we have been experiencing you know what i mean it, it i think what bother, what why people are so bothered by it and you know i've i've sort of had to also be less possessive of barca's because you know initially barca was mine like uh, i felt mm-hmm. my relationship to it was so close so emotional the bond that i had it was my barca right and i got to a point where even like, I didn't want to share it. I, w- I would like point people out. I've always lived very internationally. You know, I've lived all in all in, in, in seven different countries and uh, accounted once over 14 cities. So, but everywhere I've go, I've always made it a point to be a, 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 a local Peña member there where there were places. And I would sometimes feel like, hey, you know, you're not a real Barca fan. I would be testing. I would be testing to see if they were worthy, let's say, of, you know, yeah. attending or being branded a Barca fan. And and then you realize that you got to let go. Like there are people that are as passionate or even more perhaps as me uh, or as you or as others when it comes to f- being followers and fans of a club and and and. To, to give you an example, the Peña in Mumbai, I, I call them out quite a lot 
uh, Anand, who's their their president, have so much respect for the guy and and, and all of those Peña members because they'll be in a bar at like 3 a.m. that still will stay open sometimes just for them to watch these games. You know, whether it's like a Barça-Elche or if it's a Champions League knockout, um, you know, they're there and committed. And, and that's that's incredible, man. So, you know what I mean? It's Yeah, for sure. I think back in 2003, I was the only Barcelona fan that I knew all through where I lived in a little farm town in Pennsylvania. And for me, I was saying, hey, I've this is my thing. I protected this thing. And mm -hmm. so for me, I was like, oh, I put my time in, right? I tried to export the ideas of like that being an FC Barcelona fan was cool, even though I was the only one I knew who was a fan of Barcelona. And so I put my time in and now... You're, you're, you're completely right where it's like the passion that people have. And especially when I get negative reactions from people, it's that there have, especially games too. I mean, you and I work in sports. So I have seen when I say thousands of sporting events and I've I watched them, not just for enjoyment, I've had to watch them for work that when you watch thousands and thousands and thousands, and I've taken over half a decade of just rigorous notes on every single Barcelona game, right? That there is something very mechanical about that. And so I don't hoot and holler and, and go crazy about almost anything anymore. Sometimes yeah. I do. My wife knows that if I'm standing up and I'm holding my, my arms across and I'm wearing a Jersey, that is like, that's the moment, but it, it happens very rarely now, not because of Barcelona's success, but just because of the nature of, of yeah. the way that I become desensitized. More right, but for, yeah. for, but for all the people that listen to our sh to my show, and and this is this is it. I promise, this is maybe the longest show I've ever done, uh, close to it. So we're gonna go into history books in a good way. But because I want really? I want to say thank, you, thank right. you to the fans as well, to the listeners yeah. and everything, because there are again their passion is what makes it all possible. And so the idea of Logan Paul, I can't believe we're getting. I'm going all the way to Logan Paul and say goodbye on this. But the <laughs> idea of trying to bring in younger fans with whatever reaches out to them. Yeah. It's something that I've had to accept, right? I, right? It took me three years to get on TikTok just because it's it's hard for me to accept that, okay, that's actually where fans are today. Yeah. Fan, like fans or younger fans. Like I, you cannot, I and Barcelona are trying to, they're trying to extend an olive branch to as many fans as they possibly can. And it's sometimes that is ugly. So like I've said, yeah. I, when I asked the well question, said. they have created parts of their soul. And it's for us as individual fans to kind of decide how much of that soul is making us uncomfortable. And people have heard me on the show. Every time Barcelona make me uncomfortable and they extend too far, I like I would love it if they could find someone else as a, a hydration partner in the Logan Paul shore. But I also understand the move, why it was made. And yeah. listen, if if Logan Paul, that's one of those examples where it's like, ugh, yeah, yes, he's done some scamming. Yes, if Logan Paul means though that they they bring in this sponsorship, they bring in a lot more fans, and they and then a new Pena starts in a new city. Is that Pena worth the existence of Logan Paul Fido with my club? And those are hard, hard questions to answer. That yeah. I, yeah, I would love to answer at a different time. So, Diego, thank you so much for your time, for more than enough time. I hope people are still with us. I it's probably likely will do just one show this week. I, we usually do the two, but uh, there's a programming note. This will probably just be the one. I'll give you a full week to have heard it. So, thank you for tuning in. Again, you can follow him on Twitter down the show notes below because I know that he's got some things cooking in the future. Of course, Jersey Tacticus is always an option, but of course, Diego Lorraine, we're excited to see your, your professional journey continue on. I know you're going to be doing some great stuff, but then we are the Barcelona Podcast, everywhere you could possibly find me. As you know, history stuff is going on on the channel in the next few weeks. I am going away in the middle of July, so expect that then. Most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Cheers. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.